Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. This morning, we're going to continue a series we started last week called Simplify. And as I mentioned last week, I love this word. It has been my word of the year for the better part of a decade. And it simply means, simplify means to make something easier to do or to understand. And, and I don't know about you, but life, even before we were sheltering in place and quarantining, was getting crazy, crazy, crazy. In the last eight weeks, life has gotten increasingly more complex and complicated in many different ways, even though that we're maybe actively, in, in terms of the actions and activities of our life, have gone down, it's gotten a little more crazy. And, and many of us would love nothing more than for life to get back to normal. And maybe there's some little micro steps that are starting to happen now that things are starting to open up at 25% capacity at least. And that's exciting, but many of us are saying, I want life back. I, I am, I'm stressed out. This is a difficult season. And I would love nothing more than to be able to go to the gym. I feel you. I'd like to do that too. Maybe some of you are saying, I just like to get like a regular haircut from somebody who does it for a living, you know, and I, I feel you too. I have a lot of products in this hair this morning to tame it down, and uh, you may be feeling like that a lot too in some of your Zoom calls, like I just got to put a lot of hairspray or something just to get this thing to, to behave, and, and we've all felt that way, and, and you may be tired of having somebody at the house do your hair, you know, and that's, that's understandable. Others of us have even more serious issues where man, this is a time where financially it has been a stressful time. So financially for your business, if you own one, financially for you personally, that uh, it, it is a difficult time. It's a challenging time. For some of you, you would say, honestly, for me, Will, this might be the most stressful time I can remember like ever in my life because there's so much uncertainty and so many factors beyond my control or even my ability to understand how it's all going to pan out. It leaves us asking the question, how does faith in Jesus give me peace of mind amidst the chaos of our world right now? How does faith in Jesus work in the midst of that kind of chaos. And last week, I introduced to you an incredible invitation. Really, it was a calling that Jesus had to his followers. And he extends, this, extends that same invitation to us right now to this day. It was an invitation to come and to adopt a simpler life, to simplify our lives. And it's easier said than done, isn't it? But here's what we know, what's been proven, that when we begin to simplify our life, our cortisol levels that cause stress in our bodies, those fluids begin to decrease. And what increases is the internal feeling of peace and focus and attention, creativity, the capacity to love other people begins to creep up and get stronger. Let's look at this invitation together. It's so powerful. And what Jesus says, and all through this series, we're gonna be looking at different principles that Jesus taught 
that are profound. They're so simple, but if we apply them, we put them into practice in our life, they have powerful, profound impact on how we live every single day if we really take it to heart. So let's take a look at this invitation again. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You feeling like that right now? So many people do. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And he goes on to say, and you will find rest for your souls. This rest, this is the peace of mind that's been missing. It's the peace of mind that we all long for, yearn for. Jesus is saying, I got it, and I'll give it. And he ends by saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus, one of the first things that he models for us when he's saying, hey, come and learn from me about this easy yoke, the models is that he was never in a rush. He was never in a hurry. He seemed to always have time for people. As a matter of fact, we unpack the idea that everything that Jesus did was motivated out of one thing, and that was love. He modeled it. He showed us how to do it. And that love and hurry don't mix. We looked at that last week. And later, the Apostle Paul takes this idea and he runs with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says, love is patient. First and foremost, before I say anything else about love, it's patient. Love requires patience. And here's what we know about hurry. Hurry don't have it. Hurry does not have patience, right? And we are all gonna have times when we're busy. I'm busy, you're busy. And even during this time of sheltering in place, if you're a mama at home with your kids trying to homeschool for the first time, you're busy, right? If you're trying to work from your house along with taking care of responsibilities of your home, you're busy. We're all still busy. It's a different kind of busy. I'm just saying that when we begin to follow Jesus seriously, the way he's called us to, it means that we've got to put some stops in the day to slow down so that we can listen and that we can empathize and we can love other people. It's not going to just magically happen on its own. We've got to slow down. And even for many of us who have slowed down, you feel like, well, my activity has slowed way, way down. I don't know if you felt this. I certainly have. There's this internal frenetic activity. There's this kind of like addiction to speed. I, I want to go. I need to do. Don't you feel that too? There's like this, I, I need to get back into the swing of things and the speed of life and the speed of this world. I kind of want to get plugged back into that. But I want to caution you before we dive too quickly back into that, let's learn something powerful and profound from Jesus right now while we have this beautiful, incredible window of opportunity right now learning how to begin to slow down and even more importantly to look at pay close attention to what we are paying attention to in other words and we talked about this last week there's a spiritual battle going on for your attention and when we talk about this addiction to speed and this idea of our brains and our minds wanting to keep going 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 we can't talk about that without talking about the internet <laughs> The internet is with us. It's been with us for a little over 25 years, and I think we could all agree it has radically and unequivocally changed our world forever, for better or for worse, right? And depending on who you read, 
the outcomes are not great. As some will say that it has collectively lowered our IQ. Others would say, well, at best, it has compromised our capacity to focus our attention, to slow down and focus. And it's, it's kind of amazing how that has happened so quickly. And what's really kind of incredible is that how that has happened so quickly in, uh, in our society, it has radically changed even the way our kids interact with the world and with each other compared to how, when I was a kid, when there was no internet, how we all interact. It's, it's radically different, isn't it? And I came across an incredible resource I want to share with you, Nicholas Carr's Pulitzer Prize-nominated book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Now, this is an older book now, but it was one of the more definitive works of its time, and it's still an incredible kind of landmark piece of uh, literature and research. But here, Nicholas Carr, he shares with us his research on what the internet is doing to us collectively, and he talks even more personally about what he's noticing in himself, how it's changing him. Let me read to you what he wrote. He says, what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. He goes on to talk about that it is training all of our brains to take in information the same way the internet disperses it in a constant stream of particles of information. We, we, we like that. We get addicted to it, right? And he goes on to give us this beautiful word picture. He ends by saying, or this quote ends by saying, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, right? Going deep. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. What it seems to be doing, and the, and the research is proving this, is that it has made us less... Um, our propensity to, is less likely to go deep and to think deeply and to process deeply concepts, ideas, and how they impact us in the world. But we cover lots of stuff superficially. We don't go very deep, but we have a lot of breadth. We cover a lot of things superficially. He's saying, and that is becoming a problem. And, and what's interesting is that a few years after this was written, in 2007, the smartphone was invented. The iPhone hit the market. And what did it do? It took the internet and it put it in our pocket that we can take that with us anywhere and everywhere at any time. We have it all the time now, right? All the time. And the question that we've got to ask is, because we, we bought it under this promise that it promised to improve our lives. But the question that we got to ask is, has it lived up to the promise? What has it actually done in terms of its impact in our life? And one research study that I came across this week, and maybe you've read some of this before, the average iPhone smartphone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. That's 60 are 76 different sessions, and that's two and a half hours on the phone a day. Now, if you take that same research and you focus it just on millennials, now who are millennials? People born between 1981 and 1996, and then after 96, that's Gen Z. If you look at millennials or Gen Z, that number more than doubles. Five hours a day on the phone, and over 150 different sessions on the phone, 
And what's interesting is of the research that I saw anyway, no one had a clue how much time they were spending on the phone because the programs for much of these applications that are, being, that are consuming our time are written much like a slot machine that you would find in Las Vegas somewhere. And, and in both cases, it's just a dollar here, it's just five dollars there, and over and over it goes, and you wake up one day and you're broke. Where did it all go? It was just little incremental installments. But that's exactly the way these things were written. And it will, it's written in such a way for an outcome that will consume all that we have to give it. We have to be the ones to say, enough, it will never do that for you, Right? Interesting that uh, another piece of research, and this one was really shocking to me, it says that just being in the same room with our phone, and it doesn't even have to be turned on, will reduce our working memory and problem-solving skills. Can I be honest with you? When I read that, I went and got my phone, turned it off, and put it in another room to finish writing this message. I'm serious. Like, I did that because I'm like, I can't afford for that to be happening to me right now, right? And so, translation is, these smartphones are making us dumber, not smarter. And it's interesting because this is something that has been understood for quite some time. As a matter of fact, Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook, as a matter of fact, if you ever saw the movie Social Networking, he was played by Justin Timberlake in the movie. And Sean Parker, ironically today, is what he calls a conscientious objector to social media. And in a recent interview with Axios, here's what he said. He says, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to give you sort of a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's, um, and that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, he says, right? He says exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. This is the way we're wired. He says, so we wrote it this way so that we get people to come back. And does it work? You bet it does, to the tune of billions, billions of dollars, right? Billions of dollars. To the point where we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of relationship do you have with your phone? What kind of relationship do I have with my phone? We, we all need to ask ourselves. We need to sit down and talk to our kids about this. We need to talk to spouses need to talk about this. We need to all have a conversation about that question. That's such an important question to ask because psychologists in this country are saying that the vast majority of Americans' relationship with their phone fits into the category of, of compulsion at least but probably for many, it's the area of addiction. And here's why they say this. Because you will literally stop anything and everything that you're doing to go check that last text, that last email, to go see what that, uh, that, that little notification from Instagram was. You'll stop and you, 
You, you give your attention to that. Now, I, I realize for some of you are saying, well, this is a massive overstatement. Like, my relationship with my phone is fine. I'm good. I'm fine. To you, I would say, that is awesome. That's great. If your relationship with your phone is fine, I would say to you, prove it. All right? And here's how you can prove it. Turn your phone off for 24 hours straight and go put it away, okay? Let's just call it a digital Sabbath, all right? It's just an idea. This way you can prove I don't really have a compulsion. I, don't have, I certainly don't have an addiction. And just see if you can resist the itch, the temptation to want to go pick it up and check it, right? Or also the compulsion to not want to fall on the floor in the fetal position, sweating and having, uh, you know, uh, withdrawal symptoms, that sort of thing. Absolutely. It, 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 here's what I'm saying to you guys. I'm not saying your phone is evil or any of the devices are evil. I'm just trying to get us to ask an incredibly important, life-changing, profound question. And here's the question. What is all this distraction doing to our souls? We've got to ask it's such an important question. What's it doing to your kids' souls? How is it impacting us? It's so important to begin to ask this. This is why I'm using quotes from people that are not even Christians. They're not even in our camp. They're not people who have an agenda for some of the Christian worldview or something. These are just people who say, based on the research, this is based on how this stuff was written. This is how it works. Seth Godin, dot-com brilliant millionaire. He's also considered a marketing genius, strategist, author of many best-selling books. Here's what Seth Godin says. He goes, this is just a reminder for everybody, just a reminder. He says, your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not you. You're not the customer. You're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. And here he is saying, listen, I'm not coming from a spiritual agenda standpoint. I'm just saying the people that write these things are not considering your peace of mind. They just want your attention. It is like the most important commodity to them. And, and you, you may not, that may be news to you. Maybe you've never considered that. Did you know your attention was for sale? You, did you know that your attention is, is one of the most valuable commodities in this country, people are fighting over. They're spending billions of dollars to try to capture it and captivate it and hold on to it, right? The, uh, our attention is one of the most precious commodities that we have, what the Bible would call a treasure, a treasure that is something that should be valued above, way above just common things. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about it in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's what Jesus says about treasure. He says, for where your treasure is, let's just use treasure as your attention. Now, typically and historically, we thought of treasure as time and money. It certainly is those things, but we live in an economy today that there are so many marketers that know if they can get your attention, they got your time and money. 
They'll get that. They just need to get your attention first. So where your your attention is, your treasure is, there your heart or your desires, the desires of your life will be also. And I loved how Eugene Peterson put it here in the message. He says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And I would just add this, and it also becomes the person that you become. It's, it's so powerful that when we look at the idea of what we give our attention to, it really dictates who we become. We become what we give our attention to. We've got to really think about where and how are we, are we dis- dispensing that attention in our life right now. For better or for worse, this is incredibly true. And I meet so many people who go through this life who are oblivious by their own admission. They say, I don't, I don't ever sense God's presence around me. I, I don't really feel him. I don't really know where he is. He seems to be absent from my life. But could it be that it's not God that's absent, but it's us that's absent? We are so distracted by the phone and by the TV and by the news and everything else, so many distractions, that we are oblivious to the God who is all around us, who who is more desirous of a relationship with you than you are with him. He loves you. He desperately wants you and he to connect. But that won't happen until you give your attention. That's really powerful. That attention, attention is the thing that leads to our awareness. And maybe another way of putting that is that we need to pay attention to the things that we are paying attention to. And, and I've been blown away at how many people, like sincere, wonderful, awesome Christian people that have shared with me, Will, when I get alone with God, like in his presence, and maybe this has been your story too, I struggle to pay attention to God. Like to really stay focused, it's hard, it's a struggle for me. And I, I feel for you, I have empathized, I have felt that too. It is a struggle, it's something we have to work at. But the fact is that we become what we give our attention to. And if we cannot give our attention to God, man, God only knows what will become of us and our children if we can't slow down and focus on him. It's so important for us to learn to begin to do that because learning to focus our attention on God is the beginning of devotion to God. Learning to turn our heart's attention towards God is the beginning of worship. That's where it starts. Like that's, That is so critical and key to that next step. We can't even begin to take on the yoke of Jesus and begin to follow him until we can push away some of the distractions that have got us captivated so much in this life that we can't even see him. We can't even give him any of our time or attention. It, it's constantly a fight to be able to give to give that to him. And as long as we remain distracted, we make the devil's job easy. You see, his strategy is to steal your heart away from God. And he knows, it's very brilliant, if he can capture your attention, he's got your heart. 
If he can captivate your attention and keep it and hold it and just keep it away from God, whatever that looks like, he doesn't have to worry about you ever having any real deep or meaningful connection to God or devotion to him because he's got you separated. This is why Jesus wisely taught where your treasure is, there your heart will always, it will always follow your treasure. And if today one of our greatest treasures is our attention, we have got to pay close attention to where we're giving our attention. So incredibly important. Because what has our attention has our hearts and will determine who we become. We will always, our life and our children's lives, everybody will move in the direction of our greatest focused attention. We move that direction. And, and it's so important for us to begin to ask the question, where, are, where is my attention now? Where are you giving your attention in your life right now? Where are you giving your attention in your life right now? This is why Jesus beckons to us. He says, come to me, please, everyone, consider this. This is so serious. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You are weary, you are burdened, and, God, and Jesus knows it, and he knows it anywhere else that you give that focus of the attention of your life will bring nothing but weariness and a burden that you will have to carry. Jesus is saying, I'm the place where you get free. I'm the place where you come and find rest, where you find peace of mind, finally. Don't you want that? Jesus says, come to me, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Pardon me. The last part, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, next week, we're going to learn more about what that yoke, that easy yoke that Jesus promises. We're going to learn about how to begin to put that into practice. But the first and foremost, I had to spend these first couple of weeks just talking about the things that got us distracted and captivated and pulling us away from his call and away from what he desires for all of us who follow him. So today, I, I hope and pray that your heart would just be open to say, Jesus, I'm tired of the exhaustion that distraction brings. I commit to take more breaks from my phone or any other device. Again, we're not saying those are evil and awful and you should never use them. I use them, my family uses them, our church uses them. We post things on social media, we communicate that way. I'm not saying it's evil, I'm just saying we have to pay close attention to our attention diet and how we're consuming these things because they are not producing good results in large quantities. Small quantities, you're fine, right? Large quantities, they begin to cause all kinds of weariness and burdensome living. But here's our application prayer. Jesus is saying, are, are we, I'm asking you to say to him today, Jesus, I'm tired of the exhaustion of distraction. I commit to bring more, take more breaks from my phone and devices, and I want to give greater attention to you. Once again, thanks for listening. 
If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.